Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is a message brought to our church by a guest speaker. We hope that it is a blessing to you, and we would love to hear how God has used it in your life. So 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, and we're going to look at verses 17 through the end of the chapter. And uh, I want to just encourage you tonight with this message on uh, the ministry of reconciliation. You'll, you'll find that right in verse number 18, that uh, we have been given this ministry of reconciliation. And that's, that's what I want to preach on tonight. So starting in verse number 17 through the end of the chapter, uh, Paul says this in verse 17, Therefore... Well-known verse, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Because we have been given or committed this word of reconciliation, verse number 20 says that we are now ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. And verse number 21 is probably one of the most powerful, most powerful verses in Paul's writings concerning the work of Christ in the gospel that he who had, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, in Christ. What a, what a passage. It's really deep in its theology, rich in its doctrine, but so encouraging and immensely practical at the same time. So there's a lot of theological implications we could really dig into, but I, I kind of, we, we have to hit on some of that, but I really want us to be challenged with the thought that God has given us a ministry, and God has given us a method to carry out that ministry, and that's kind of what we're going to focus in on tonight. So let's, uh, let's ask God to speak to us through his word and, and ask the spirit to work in us. Our Heavenly Father, just uh, it's a joy to be here tonight to get to fellowship with these brothers and sisters in Christ and to spend time, uh, time with the fountains and we're so thankful uh, for this opportunity. I pray that you'll work in our hearts by the working of the Holy Spirit May the word of God have its intended effect in, in our lives, and may we be encouraged. And I pray that when we leave here tonight, we will be strengthened, that we'll be uh, edified and encouraged and challenged to carry out the ministry that you've entrusted, that you've given to all of us. And may we be faithful to you and all things. And we love you. We thank you. Help us to love you more. It's in Jesus' name, our Lord and Savior, I pray. Amen. Whenever a relationship is strained, that relationship needs to be made right. Um, It needs to be mended. It must be repaired. Let me give you just an example of this. Uh, some time ago, probably two years ago, there was a couple that came into my office and they uh, had been married for some time, but their marriage was was strained. There was a, r- a rift between husband and wife. 
And what they needed was, uh, what they needed was reconciliation. What, in other words, this relationship needed to be restored. What was made, what was meant to be right, was now broken. And there was a rift between two parties, and those two parties needed to make things right with one another so that they could once again function the way they were supposed to. So through a process of counseling uh, and a process of ministering and discipling, uh, thankfully we were able, you know, God was able to work in their life. They yielded to the will of God, the word of God, the Spirit of God, and their marriage was mended. This is called reconciliation. Uh, it's actually a medical term that means to be reset, like if you break a bone. That bone has to be reset. It has to be put back in its rightful place to be mended. We use this term Reconciliation, as I described it, in a relational status. Uh, but when Paul used the word, it would have been in a, more of a medical term. But it's all heading the same way. The, the, the definition works in both cases. That something that is broken has to be fixed, has to be restored so it can function properly. Notice in the text that God is the reconciler. In other words, God is the one who is seeking to make things right. Let's go back to Genesis chapter number 3 just for a moment. We won't turn there or anything like that. But if you know your Bible, you know that in Genesis chapter 3, mankind fell in the garden. Man once walked with God. Think about that for a moment, that man walked with God. Adam got to fellowship with God just like I was fellowshipping with your pastor right before church. On the right up here, over here from Western Washington, my wife, when she wasn't sleeping, fellowshiped with me. And, and there was a time where man and God enjoyed each other's company without any hindrance of sin at all. What an incredible thought. I look forward to the day that I get to, once again, mankind, and we get to fellowship with God in a glorified state once again. But that was the condition that Adam and Eve had in the garden. They rebelled against God, they sinned against God, and sin and death came upon us all. I was teaching this morning over uh, at the church we were worshiping at this morning. And, and, and the thought that I shared with the church there was that if you read Romans chapter 5, and it talks about the first Adam and his fall, that we cannot look at Adam and say that we as humans are victims of Adam's rebellion. Rather, you read Romans 5, just read the book of Romans and you walk away saying, not that we're victims, but that we are partakers with Adam in his fall. We are all sinners before a holy God. And people say, well, what if Adam never rebelled against God? Well, it would have been, it would have been somebody else. We are all fallen and in need of reconciliation. Philip Ryken describes reconciliation this way. It is part of the message of salvation that brings us back together with God. All the way back in the beginning, God promised the Savior. God promised that mankind who was right with him, that that fellowship would once again be mended, would be made correct, would be made right again. Jesus Christ was promised all the way back in Genesis chapter number three, that from the seed of a woman would come one who would, whose heel would be bruised by the serpent, but he would crush the head of the serpent. It's a very promise of salvation, that mankind who has fallen and broken and now alienated from God will one day be made right with God. 
it was God who initiated this process. I mean, the Bible tells us that there is none that seeks after righteousness. There is none that, you know, look after God, that turn to God, that seek after God. Mankind in his fallen condition does not seek reconciliation with God. It's the other way around. It is God who looks at fallen man and he seeks reconciliation. It is, it is a loving, gracious, divine, holy God who looks at broken, fallen man and says, I must restore my creation. In all these religions around the world, it is oftentimes what we find, what we see is that they are told, you must do this for your God. You must die for your God. But biblical Christianity is that God died for us. What a difference. It is God who seeks reconciliation. Notice in the verses we read that it is God, verse number 18, all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself. It was in verse 19 that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. God is the divine initiator of it. God is the innocent party and the estranged relationship. I mean, mankind was created to have a relationship with God. I can't remember if it was uh, D.L. Moody or Spurgeon, one of those great preachers that all of, us, uh, all of us quote now, but one of those guys said that within our hearts there's a God-shaped hole that only God can fill. Because we were created with this need to have a relationship with God. We were created to, to fellowship with Him. We are made in the very image and likeness of our God. And, and here, uh, uh, God is, 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 we are estranged from Him because of our sin. And God is the innocent party in this estranged relationship. But yet, it is God uh, Himself who is seeking to restore. We did not, recon we did not reconcile ourselves to Him it's the other way around. Now, the means by which we are reconciled to the Lord is through Christ. Right there in our text, it says that uh, all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. In verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. The means of reconciliation is his own son, Jesus Christ. Now, listen God did not send an angel. God did not dedicate a man. God did not designate an institution to, or to be his instrument of reconciliation. Those things would fall short. Any man or angel or institution would not be able to successfully reconcile fallen man to a holy God. Only the perfect, sinless, listen, God, yet man, Jesus, the Word becoming flesh, only the perfect, sinless God, deity wrapped in flesh, the Son of God, God the Son, could make reconciliation possible. If it was any other means, we would fall short to meet the standards of God's law and God's holiness and we would not be able to be reconciled and therefore we would still be under the very wrath of God. Peter made this proclamation in, in his preaching in Acts chapter 4 verses 10 and 12. He, he declares, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified among God raised, whom God raised from the dead Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. It is the guiltless Son of God who died in the place of the guilty sinner who made him to be sin for us. Look in verse number 21 that he being uh, God, the Father, hath made him, Jesus Christ the Son, to be sin for us. 
It's not that, listen, it is not that Jesus Christ was physically made sin because that would make him a sinner, therefore unable to reconcile. No, no, no. It's the fact that he became the, the, the sacrifice, the offering given for our sin. That the sins of fallen man throughout all ages were, were placed on the very shoulders of Christ. And there at the cross, he bore the very wrath of God for sinners. I mean, the Bible's clear that the wages of sin, what we get for our sin, the end result of our sin is always death. And when Jesus Christ went to that cross, it wasn't just a physical death that he was going to face, but it was the very wrath of God he was going to face. If you read in the Old Testament, you'll find where uh, the prophets would use the term the cup of God to speak of his judgment, of his wrath. I mean, Jeremiah told uh, Judah that God was going to pour out his cup upon them. Speaking of uh, Nebuchadnezzar who was going to come from the north and take them into captivity, that's a, that's a very, uh, uh, very uh, what's the word, descriptive term of God's judgment coming on them. So you fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus is about to go to the cross and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane with his, his disciples. And there Jesus Christ is praying. What, what does he say? He says, Lord, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup of your wrath pass from me. I love what Charles Spurgeon said about the, the cup that he was going to drink from. He said, Jesus Christ did not sip from the cup of wrath on the cross of Calvary. Rather, it was poured out in full on him. Nobody's ever faced the wrath of God like God the Son did on the cross. And, and it was his, not his sins and his crimes that he was bearing this wrath of God upon himself for. No, it was mine. It was yours. It was the sins of, of, of the community of Moses Lake, the state of Washington, the nation of the United States, the whole world. It was all of the sins of the world just right on top of Christ and he was bearing the wrath of God for all of the ages. Christ was not guilty and could not be made guilty, but he was treated as if he were guilty. It was his will to stand in the place of the guilty. So there the guiltless son of God died on the cross and taking our place. He took our sin and in the place of that sin, he gave us his righteousness. What an exchange. You want to talk about an a, a unfair deal? I mean, good for us, right? It's a great deal for us. But a lopsided deal that he would take our sin and that he would give us his righteousness. What an exchange. That he, who has always been right with God, the Father, and continues to always be right with the Father, even even when he was bearing the wrath of the sin of the world, he was, being, he was right with the Father. That's what the word righteousness means. Just simply that which is right with God. I mean, there are a lot of ways that people try to gain or garner righteousness. People join churches trying to become righteous. People take of, you know, the sacraments, the, the, the Lord's table, communion, trying to become righteous. People give money to good causes, good deeds. People do all kinds of good things for people trying to garner righteousness, hoping in the end that they will be righteous enough in the sight of God to dwell with Him for eternity. But the very best efforts of self-righteousness fall flat. I mean, you could, you could give Moses Lake Baptist Church a million dollars. 
Now, your pastor wouldn't object to that at all. But if you think giving your, this church a million dollars will get you into the gates and spend eternity with Christ, you're fooling yourself. One of my favorite things that I get to do as a pastor is baptize new believers. I love baptizing new converts. It's an awesome thing. But you could, you could come here every Sunday, and every Sunday your pastor could baptize you from now till eternity, and it wouldn't be enough to get you into eternity with Christ. There, there's, there's only the righteousness of Christ that, that is good enough, that, is, that fits the bill in the eyes of a holy God. I mean, if, if we have to be holy and righteous in the sight of God, then only God's holiness and righteousness will do. That's the exchange that is, that is given. He died for us so that we might be alive in Him. When Christ died there, He removed, listen, He removed the tension between us and God. His shed blood reconciled the conflict between us and God the Father. The wrath of God was peased. It was, it, it was satisfied through Christ. And, and notice in verse number 19, then because of the work of Christ, he, was, he exchanges our sin for his righteousness in verse number 21, but in verse 19, it says that God through Christ Jesus, not imputing trespasses unto them. Those that are made right with God the Father through God the Son he no longer counts the sin against them. The word imputes, a, it's a, a, a counting term to keep record of. And listen, I'm thankful that though the ledger in heaven of my sin could be long and deep, and I would never be able to pay it, but in the ledgers of heaven, it is declared that the account is paid in full. Years ago, um, my wife and I, we had a, a loan on a car, and it's a, it's a necessary evil sometimes, right, when you got to go get a loan for a car. Uh, it's the worst thing, but it's a necessary evil sometimes. And, and you know, like everybody else, when you, when you get that statement in the bank and you know you owe them and you try to pay it, as quick, pay it off as quick as you can to save interest, and it was a good feeling when we paid off that car and I got this letter from our bank saying uh, that our note was paid in full and it showed at the bottom, it said, balance due, zero. The balance due had been zeroed out. And I'm thankful that although the sins that I've committed would certainly condemn me to a Christless hell for eternity, which is what I rightfully deserve. Although in that day, there will be no judgment for my sin because my sin has been paid for in full by the blood of Christ. And right there by my name, it says balance due. Zero. Paid in full. By the gracious, loving sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And all those who have come to, to know Jesus Christ as Savior by faith, this wonderful gift of grace is given, and your name is, is written in the book of life, and beside your name, the ledger says, paid in full, by the blood of Christ not imputing, not counting your sin against you, but rather counting the righteousness of Christ applied to your life, to your account. In Christ, the sinner is not made to be a better version of themselves, but rather in Christ, the sinner is made to be a new creature altogether. 
He doesn't just save us from our sins. He changes our very life. Verse number 17, well-known verse. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He changes everything. This same Jesus that saved us from the penalty of our sin and exchanged our sinfulness for his righteousness is the same Jesus then that begins to transform our very life, to change us from the inside out. He changes everything. This is this marvelous work of God that, that here's, the, here's the wonderful gift of Jesus Christ to fallen man to make us right with God, to make us from unrighteous to righteous. But it's not just that He wants to make us right and just leave us where He finds us. He finds us where we're at. He loves us where we're at. But He loves us too much to leave us there. So therefore, He takes us on this process in life that we call sanctification. That It's just this changing process that we are being made like Him. Paul says in Philippians that He's begun this good work in us and He's going to continue it until the day of His coming. And there will be a day where finally all things will be completely passed away. And all things will be made completely new altogether. But that's not just some future promise. That's, that's a work of Christ in us now. And it's becoming more of a reality. Here's, the, here's what the, the growing reality in the Christian life ought to be. That we're more like Jesus each and every day. Less like the old and more like the new every single day. It's a work of Christ. So we were broken and estranged from God. But now through Christ we're made right and He's changing us. And... And, and listen, this is, this is the very heart of God. What Paul has given us a glimpse of, what Paul is really getting at is to help us to see the very heart of who God is and what God is after, what, what Christ longs to do. What, what, what is it that drives God? It's to save sinners, to reconcile sinners, to restore his broken creation back unto himself and to change them into his own image. This is the very mission of God. God was the very first missionary. God was the very first preacher of the gospel. I mean, it was, it was God. He started it all. He initiated all. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We love Him because He loved us first. This is the very mission of God. So this very mission of reconciliation, what started with God, it, now listen, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. It continues to be a work of God. But now, those who have been reconciled to God through the Son... He now enlists us to be a part of this mission. We get included in on the mission. We have been given this ministry of reconciliation. So we see this thing here in verse 18 where God reconciles the sinner to himself through his son Jesus Christ and then those sinners who are now in Christ Jesus who are being made new through Christ are now included on the mission. We have been given the ministry, entrusted with the ministry of this reconciliation. So we have a role to play, a purpose to fulfill, a, a job to steward over. Now, this ministry of, of reconciling sinners continues to be the mission of God. It continues to be the work of God. I mean, when a sinner is saved, uh, you, you had to, uh, a couple saved here this morning. You had some people saved this week. That's, that's phenomenal. That's awesome. That was a work of God. I mean, when sinners are saved, whether it's in Moses Lake or Carlsbad or Timbuktu, it's, it's a work of God. So, so don't misunderstand what I'm going to say. While it's a work of God, we have a role to play in all of this. 
We're, uh, we're just stewarding a, of this ministry. A steward is one who oversees the affairs or business of another. It is one who's given the charge to execute the desires of another. We know it's God's desire to see people saved, right? It's God's desire to see people reach with the gospel, the, death, burial, the message of the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, to see those people who hear it, believe it, and call upon Christ as Savior, they are receiving it for themselves. Uh, that's the desire of God. So as a steward of that, it is now our responsibility to make sure that that desire of God is carried out. We have an opportunity. We have an obligation. It's both. It's not just one of those obligations that you, you, you dread. I mean, I have obligations that I, I just hate. I, I have an obligation to pay my mortgage, and I hate it. I have an obligation to, to, uh, to, to, to pay the bills, and uh, I was going to say mow the grass, but now that I have a 12-year-old son, he has an obligation to mow the grass. We, there's, there were certain obligations that I had as a pastor that now that I have staff, I'm just like, now it's your obligation. To you staff guys, I know what that's, I mean, I, I paid my dues. Did it for seven years. and uh, So there are certain obligations that you're just kind of like, okay, I guess I got to do this. And then, there's, then there are other obligations that you, you look forward to, that you love. One of my obligations as a pastor that I love is getting up and preaching the word of God every Sunday. Every Sunday. It was weird. If there's, if, if there's not a Sunday that I'm not behind a pulpit, it's just weird. Last Sunday, uh, was in church, and I was just sitting in, in the pew, just sitting in the chairs like, like everybody else. And it was weird. And I probably looked weird sitting there, too. I don't know what to do my, with myself if I'm just sitting there. I look like a fish out of water. It was weird. But that obligation is, is one that I look forward to. It's not one that I dread it's one that I delight in. So while this ministry of, of reconciliation is an obligation placed on the Christian, it's not one that he has to dread, but it's one that he can have delight in. One that is, is ought to, it's an obligation, a responsibility that brings great joy. There is nothing like somebody that you're witnessing to trust in Christ and you walk away from that encounter knowing this, God did the saving, but God used me in the process. There's nothing like it. We have been entrusted with this ministry. First Timothy 2.4 just says, who will have all men to be saved? God has desired for all men to be saved. And to come into the knowledge of the truth. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. As stewards of the purpose and mission of God, we have to dedicate our lives to it. It's incumbent upon us. When Jesus left and ascended back to the Father, he commissioned the disciples to, to continue his mission, to take the, the great news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that salvation has now come to all men, that all sinners can be made right with God no matter of one's ethnicity. I kind of debated on preaching out of Ephesians 2 tonight and, and, and what's, what's so incredible found in Ephesians 2 is where uh, you have the church at Ephesus now where you have Jews and Gentiles who are being made one. They are being reconciled to each other. They're being made one through the gospel of Christ. And, and, and that they have this, this awesome responsibility now as one to preach Jesus. 
to take the gospel into their own community in Ephesus and around the world. We have this uh, great purpose and high calling to fulfill. It ought to be our most noble priority. When it comes to a church, what is of first importance in the body of Christ? It's the preaching of the gospel. What's of first importance, whether you're talking about Moses Lake Baptist Church or Landmark Baptist Church or, or any other church that, that is the Lord's, oh, what's their first priority? It's to declare the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's our responsibility, our obligation, our purpose. Now, the measure of our success as stewards isn't based on the number of conversions we have. I wish that every time we had an event that we had dozens and dozens and dozens of people not just visit the church but walk the aisles and call on Christ. That would be awesome. That would be phenomenal. And I wish that every, you know, every community outreach that we had in Carlsbad that we would see just, you know, Half the town received Christ in one day. I mean, that would be phenomenal. I mean, it would be awesome. Listen, if, if half the town of Carlsbad, you know, accepted Christ in one day, you better believe it. You would hear about it up here. Because <laughs> I would be shouting so loud that you could probably hear me. <laughs> and I wish that every time I got up and preached the gospel, somebody would get saved. And I wish that every time... We had an event, somebody got saved, and every, every time I knocked on somebody's door, invited them to church and gave them a track or, or you know, shared the gospel with somebody at the coffee shop or whatever it is, that I could say that they got saved. We all know that's not always the case, but the measure of success isn't based on the number of conversions we have, but rather on the faithfulness to the mission. How faithful are we actually being to the ministry of reconciliation? Not how many people did you see reconciled, but rather how faithful were you to involve yourself in that ministry? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We all, all to include ourselves in this passage and say we are all stewards of the mysteries of God. What's the mysteries of God? It's the gospel. It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Success to the ministry of reconciliation is solely based, really based on how faithful are we to it. Faithfulness is the litmus test of one's effectiveness as a steward. I mean, it's, who, it's God who does the saving, but it's man who God uses to do the telling. So we got to be faithful and trust God with the outcome. I don't know who it is that you're trying to reach. Uh, perhaps during this time that your pastor's been preaching and challenging you to, to reach one and, and, and to bring somebody to, to the service and hear the gospel on your community day and, and, and the different events you have. I don't know who your one is. Um, but, but listen, your, your faithfulness is the litmus test here. It's God who does the saving, but, but that one person can come to know Christ because you were faithful to do the telling, because you were faithful to invite them. You say, well, I've been trying to talk to them for some time now, and, and I just, they, you know, I keep getting the cold shoulder. Listen, I've been there. I get the cold shoulder all the time. But what if the very next time is the day of their salvation? What if the next time you invited that neighbor who has been telling you no actually shows up, hears the gospel, and gets saved? Calls on Christ. What if the next time that you share with Christ, that next person is the person who says yes to Christ? So be faithful. Trust God with the outcome. Some plant, some water, but God always gives the increase. 
So we see this mission and, and the ministry, and, and, and we're almost done here this evening. But finally, just, just look at this method that God has given us. I, I'm thankful that, you know, so here's God saving sinners, and then he includes us in this process of telling people about Jesus Christ, using us as human instruments. I'm thankful that God didn't just leave it up to our own devices to try to reach people. No, God actually gave us the tools necessary to reach people. It says here in in, in verse number uh, 19 at the end that he hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So God's called us to partner with him. And then he's given us his word, the tools necessary to accomplish the ministry, the mission. He gives us the tools necessary. We've been hearing a lot about, you know, uh, military actions, uh, you know, and, and my heart breaks for uh, what we're seeing on the news, you know, what's happening in Afghanistan. That, that's heart-wrenching. It's heartbreaking. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's hard for military men and women to carry out their mission when they aren't given the proper equipment and support and those things. Typically, what would happen in a in a military engagement is that those troops being sent into uh, an area to uh, carry out a mission, they are given the tools necessary. When Jesus sent out his disciples, he gave them the tools necessary. He said, go and preach the word. Preach the gospel. The message And then he told him, and I'm with you. He gave him not just the message, but he gave him his own presence and his own authority and his own power that's upon us. He told the disciples, I'm with you, yes, but then my spirit will come down. And he said, and this Holy Spirit will empower you, enable you to preach the gospel. He's given us everything we need. See, we don't have to conjure up Ways to reach people. We just give them the gospel. Think about that. You know, we're not salesmen out there trying to figure out ways to pitch Jesus to our community. I mean, I tell our church all the time, we're not salesmen out there saying, hey, you know, how would you like to, how would you like to buy into our religion? We're not like the guy trying to sell vacuum cleaners and, you know, the guy trying to sell... You know, now now it's not vacuum cleaners. Now it's to sell, you know, security systems for your home. And, and, and you know, the Vivid guy never gives up. You know, we're, we're, not, we're not salesmen out there trying to figure out how to get people to buy into, uh, you know, into a church or buy into, uh, you know, a religion. We're just simple messengers conveying a message. And if people believe in, upon it or not, that's, that's beyond our control. But we do have a message to give. And, and here's the wonderful thing, that the, the power of the gospel is not in the messenger, but it's in the message itself. The word of reconciliation has all the power of God on it. I mean, how else can you explain... When, and I've, and I've done this, and I feel like, I don't know how you feel, but every time I give the gospel, I just feel so inadequate, right? You, you, you're sitting at a coffee table sharing the gospel with somebody, or, or I'm preaching the gospel behind a pulpit, or, or whatever the case might be, and I feel so inadequate, and I'm just, in my mind, like, I think of, like, I have this dynamic gospel presentation that's going to you know, be given. And then when it, it comes time to share the gospel with this individual, it doesn't come out so dynamically. It kind of comes out more like, I, 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 um, um, uh, 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 uh. that's what it kind of sounds like. But then I fumble through, <laughs> I've misquoted verses, I've fumbled through the gospel before. I mean, I even told a guy one time that Jesus died and, and resurrected and then was buried. I mean, in that order. I mean, come on. 
And yet, somehow, some way, through this weak attempt of sharing the gospel, this person breaks down and calls on Christ and, and is marvelously, wonderfully saved, and their life is changed for all of eternity. And you're looking, you're like, whoa, that was awesome. Because, listen, the power wasn't in the messenger. It was in the message. You have the word of reconciliation. You go out in your community and just tell them that Jesus loves them, died for them, was buried, rose again. Be sure to get the proper order in there. And you declare the gospel and people are saved. Not everybody. Not everybody hears is going is to receive and believe. But there will be people who will hear, receive, and believe. Paul said, I'm eager to go to Rome and preach the gospel. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. When your pastor says, hey, we're having community days. And you go out and you tell people about Jesus Christ. The power is with you. It's in you. Uh, it's, it's Christ working in you and through you. The power's in his word. You're not having to conjure up some way to get people here. Just tell them about Jesus. The Apostle Paul understood it this way and you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and in chapter 2 that he, Paul just simply states, I didn't want to do anything else but come in here and preach Jesus Christ to you. Paul knew that was the power of salvation. The power of God was going to be found in the preaching of the gospel. He told the church at Thessalonica, he said, I didn't come in there with smooth talk and, you know, gimmicks and, and games and all of these things. He said, I just came and preached Jesus. And you got saved. Your life was changed. The church was started. That's the power of the word of reconciliation. I want you to get this. We, we worked our way through this text, and, and here's kind of what we saw. Here's, here's the line here. We were estranged from God. God sent his son to die for us, to make us right with him. So we have been reconciled. And then God incorporates us. And he enables us to be a part of this ministry. So that we who have been reconciled can go out into our families, our communities, and help those who are estranged from God become reconciled. So we who have been reconciled represent and work with the reconciler so that others can be what? Reconciled. I pray that you have a burden for this ministry. I pray that you have a, a, a desire, a, a hunger for it. That you have a burden to be engaged in this ministry. The ministry of reconciliation. Let me close with this. We, <clears throat> we have a, a burden. Our, our church has a great burden to see souls saved in Carlsbad, New Mexico. So one of the things that we, we implemented a ministry that we, we started. It's a drug and alcohol addictions recovery program. Our town is, I imagine, like most communities, it, drugs and alcohol have just wreaked havoc on our town. And so we, we started this ministry. 
and uh, COVID's kind of made things a little complicated here and there for it, but um, God's blessing, God's using it. We, we had a first night of the year, we had a big launch night, and, and uh, we, we do this every year. We have like a, a big launching night for it. And <clears throat> a guy by the name of Greg and, and his fiance, at that time fiance, Bell, they, they, well, they were just dating at the time. They came to our program on a Tuesday night. That Tuesday night, uh, Greg and Bell heard the gospel and both called on Christ, the Savior that night. Uh, awesome story. Greg saw our flyer in the county jail from his jail cell and thought, well, if I get released, I'll, maybe I'll go check him out. He got released the next day, which was a Tuesday morning, came to our program Tuesday night and got saved. And... So then Greg and, and his girlfriend, they, they started getting discipled and, and uh, following Christ. And uh, earlier this year, uh, back this summer, I married them both. They're baptized. They're, you know, following the Lord. It's, it's awesome to see God change that family. Well, they, <clears throat> after they got saved, they, I mean, they had just been saved for, for just a little bit of time. And they caught the vision. They just wanted to see other people like themselves come to a program like we were having on Tuesday night and hear the gospel. So they started bringing people. I mean, we're talking about two people who were steeped in drugs and alcohol who got saved. And all they knew was, man, that was cool. I need to bring other people. It's been, what, a year and a half, two years? In the last two years, they've brought at least a dozen people, half a dozen people. And there's a couple in the church who got saved, baptized, and married because of them. That's, that's the plan of God right there to see sinners who are saved become a part of the, mi the mission, to see other sinners saved and lives changed and join the mission. And it's just a continual process. It works. The plan of God works if we'll work it, if we'll involve ourselves. So I pray you have a burden to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.